Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. We now know how Gabby Petito died. The lead starts right now. Just minutes ago, a coroner, coroner, revealed the cause of death in the Petito case. But still, so many questions remain unanswered, and her fiancé, Brian Laundrie, is still missing. And then, the Texas governor is saying no one, no school, no restaurant, no business, no one is allowed to impose a vaccine mandate. But today, two major companies in that state are telling the governor, don't mess with us. Kyrie Irving benched the Brooklyn Nets start will not play or practice because of a matter he calls private. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper, and we begin today with breaking news in our national lead. Just minutes ago, we finally learned Gabby Petito, the 22-year-old woman found dead in a Wyoming National Park three weeks ago, was killed by strangulation. Her death, according to the Wyoming coroner, was ruled a homicide. Petito was first reported missing more than a month ago after spending the summer traveling with her 23-year-old fiancé, Brian Laundrie. The couple extensively documented their adventures on social media and stoked nationwide conversation about the tens of thousands of missing person stories that do not garner such an, ten- an intense interest. They also brought attention to the issues of domestic abuse and apparently inadequate police training on the matter of domestic abuse. CNN's Leila Santiago starts us off from Florida, where investigators continue to search for laundry, the fiancé who disappeared after he became a person of interest. Cause death by strangulation and manner uh, is homicide. The Teton County coroner releasing the autopsy results of 22-year-old Gabby Petito. The coroner initially determined Petito's manner of death was a homicide, but the cause of her death had not been announced. Today, Dr. Blue says he was limited in what he disclosed from his report. Who committed the homicide is really to be determined by law enforcement. This autopsy uh, included a whole body CAT scan, uh, a, a examination by a forensic uh, pathologist, uh, anthropologist. So uh, it was we pretty much covered all the bases. The coroner would only say the official autopsy report shows the body was out in the wilderness before the remains were examined. As far as the uh, time of death, uh, we are estimating three to four weeks from the time that uh, the body was found. After an extensive search, Petito's remains were found on September 19th in Wyoming's Bridger Teton National Forest. She was first reported missing by her parents on September 11th, more than a month ago. Petito spent the summer traveling across the country in a van with fiancé Brian Laundrie, documenting their adventures on social media. The couple was stopped by Moab police during their trip to Utah in mid-August after a 911 caller told dispatchers he saw a man hitting a woman. Petito was emotional during the stop. Is he usually pretty patient with you? <laughs> yeah, but I get, it just makes me upset. I know that he definitely gets frustrated with me a lot because I have 
a lot of anxiety. And Appearing to take some responsibility for the incident. We want to know the truth if he actually hit you. Because oh, you know, I guess, yeah, but I can first. Where did he hit you? Don't, don't worry, just <laughs> be honest. Like, my Weeks later, when Laundry returned to the Florida home they shared with his parents, Petito wasn't with him, police said. Now, Brian Laundry is missing. While he was indicted for allegedly using a debit card without permission just before returning home alone, he has not been named a suspect in Petito's death. The FBI and local law enforcement have been searching the 25,000-acre Carlton Reserve near his Florida home based on information from his parents, who told authorities Brian planned to hike there in mid-September. Now, nearly a month later, investigators still don't know where Laundry is. And Jake, in this press conference, the coroner was really limited in what he could say. He wouldn't answer the question uh, if the body had been moved, if she was buried, wouldn't even answer if she was strangled by hand or an item. But we have just obtained a record through a public records request signed by the coroner in which he he maintains that this was strangulation, a manual strangulation in the case of Gabby Petito in the autopsy. We have also reached out to the attorney for Laundrie's parents, and they say that this is just a tragedy, a death at such a young age. They point out that at this point, Brian Laundrie is only charged with unauthorized use of a debit card that belonged to Gabby Petito and say he's missing. And when he is found, they will address the fraud charge. All right, Lela Santiago, thank you so much. Let's discuss this all with Eric Hall. He's the director of forensic science at St. Louis University. He previously worked at the St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department Crime Laboratory. Uh, Eric, thanks for, thanks for joining us. I want to get your reaction to the news. Investigators found that Petito died by manual strangulation. Is there some, does that mean something in particular, manual strangulation as opposed to a different kind? And, and does that surprise you? Uh, yeah, hi, hi, Jake. It's a pleasure having being on your program. Um, yeah, so manual strangulation is generally uh, when hands or some sort of body part are used uh, to, you know, cut off the, the circulation of the blood versus a ligature strangulation, which would be some sort of object, whether it's clothing or, you know, a, a string or something like that. So in this case, um, now that it, you've confirmed that it is manual strangulation, um, it can only be assumed that it was probably with the hands um, and, you know, that potentially is significant. Um, you know, if there's some sort of struggle uh, going on, you know, that could indicate, um, you know, that close contact and really um, maybe some of the trace evidence that we've been looking for in a forensic investigation. Uh, the writer Kate Mann uh, wrote an essay about strangulation a few years ago. She says strangulation can also be used to send a powerful message from the perpetrator, from the abuser uh, to the victim. She writes, quote, what strangulation effectively communicates to a victim more clearly than words could is that an abuser is willing to exert punitive control by preying on her most fundamental visceral needs, such as the bodily imperative to gasp for air. This, this presupposes, I, you know, I'm, I'm guessing that it, it's not necessarily homicidal in intent, uh, although it could obviously become that. Does the way that she died tell you anything about her assailant? Um, potentially. I mean, that's something that law enforcement is definitely considering at this point, I am sure, uh, looking at that, um, exerting that power, that control over somebody um, is definitely something that um, they'd be looking at versus somebody who 
you know, maybe a ligature, they're, they're not confronting the person directly. Maybe they're grabbing them from, you know, behind or something like that. But, you know, typically with that manual strangulation, yeah, it's going, you know, right at the person exerting control over them. Um, so, yeah, that is definitely a consideration that law enforcement uh, will be looking at uh, moving forward as far as uh, the person of interest in the case. Now, the coroner was li- was limited in what he said he could he could say, comment on in terms of the cause and manner of her death because of Wyoming state law. What do police need to know now to advance the investigation? Because obviously it's beyond Wyoming police who are who are investigating because uh, uh, of all the other police look, looking for Brian Laundry. Yeah, so police from from the start have been working with that coroner's office to try and get any leads that they might um, be able to provide with, provide to them. Um, so they they've been taking those leads and, and going back to the you know the forensic evidence that may have been collected in the case. I know the uh, the doctor did mention that DNA samples uh, were collected um, from uh, presuming the body of of Gabby. We don't know exactly what those are at this point, um, but I'm sure you know the FBI or whoever's doing that work is actively working on those. Um, in addition, you know what type of other evidence was collected from that crime scene. They're they're working that evidence um, in real time, uh, whether it's hairs or fibers. Um, with manual strangulation, you potentially have that transfer of evidence. Uh, what was left behind after three or four weeks? Uh, I think that's a, a matter that we're going to find out um, in the coming in the coming months in this investigation. Uh, the coroner also said that he believes she died three to four weeks from when her remains were found. What might that tell you? Uh, so, from a manual strangulation standpoint, and potentially obtaining uh, DNA samples. Uh, I think that's probably going to lessen the likelihood that DNA is going to be obtained. Um, a body out for three to four weeks, um, you know, is in some sort of stage of decomposition at that point, um, which may make it pretty challenging to obtain any any DNA from an assailant who may have committed this crime. Um, so I think that's going to make things a lot more challenging um, in obtaining some of the forensic evidence uh, that, you know, maybe the uh, the FBI and the other investigators were were hoping to obtain. Can you explain to our viewers who might be wondering why Brian Laundrie hasn't been charged with any crime, given the fact that he was with her and then he went back to Florida, left her in Wyoming uh, and, and then has disappeared? I mean, it obviously his behavior looks very suspicious, uh, if not worse. And then there are all these obviously tapes and complaints of individuals who saw them physically fighting, who saw him hitting her what do you think is going on behind the scenes when it comes to the investigation into Brian Laundrie? Sure. The, the FBI or whoever's taking the lead on this investigation they're they're looking at a lot of different fronts. Um, maybe they don't want to tip their hand. Maybe they think they have something, maybe they don't. Um, but yeah, at the, at the end of the day, why they haven't come out. Um, I think that's, that's going to be a good question for them. And the end, if it does end up being Brian Laundrie, who is the ultimate uh, suspect in this case. It, it appears from all accounts that that would seem to be the most likely person um, at this point. Um, you know, they're going to run the forensic testing. Um, that may be completed, that may not be. Um, so they're going to get information from that as well. Uh, do, you know, did they obtain DNA from somebody else? Did they obtain DNA um, that maybe potentially matches to an unknown if they don't have Brian Laundrie's DNA sample? Um, all of those things, um, you know, they may not want to jump the gun until they have some of those loose ends tied up. Um, but yeah, knowing the inner workings of, of what they're thinking um, is, is definitely challenging at this point. Yeah. I mean, they've, they've called him a person of interest, but that's not 
the same as saying somebody is a suspect. Eric Hall, thank you so much for your expertise. We really appreciate it. Coming up, trillions of dollars and ambitious plans. Will Democrats need to scale back their goals? We're going to talk to one progressive lawmaker next. Plus, one mom calls it a COVID-19 snake pit. Why is she now suing? That's ahead. In our politics lead today, today House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is making an official plans for a historic spending bill that delivers on President Biden's agenda are still up for negotiation. But, she says, Democrats will need to scale back their very long wish list. We have some important decisions to make in the next few days so that we can proceed. Uh, I'm very disappointed that we're not going with the original $3.5 trillion, which was very transformative. That old wish list included everything from provisions to help fight climate change, to expand Medicare, to provide community college tuition. CNN's Caitlin Collins is at the White House, where President Biden will now need to mediate round two of Democratic negotiations over what stays in the bill and what he'll have to live without. We don't get too glum around here, uh, even if things look challenging. President Biden's challenges are piling up with his domestic agenda on the line. We recognize the challenge of timing. That's why there's so much work happening behind the scenes. Democrats are still divided over how to put the president's top priorities into law. I'm not asking members to vote for something that has no chance to pass in the Senate. House Speaker Pelosi conceding they will have to scale back their broad safety net ambitions and make tough choices about what to include. I'm very disappointed that we're not going with the original $3.5 trillion. The fact is, is that if there is are fewer dollars to spend, their choices to be made. The president navigating his party's internal split as he also faces other challenges with no easy solutions. Gas prices are skyrocketing, his poll numbers are falling, and new figures from the Labor Department show that nearly 3% of the U.S. workforce quit their jobs in August as companies grapple with a worker shortage. People have uh, made more, decided they have more choices that they can make. As the economy struggles to overcome the pandemic, more Americans are losing faith in the president when it comes to COVID-19. Only 45% of people now trust him to provide accurate information on coronavirus, down from 58% when he took office. We've obviously been trying very hard. We're trying to get trusted messengers out there and try and get this away from being an ideological or political statement. Now, Jake, when it goes back to those negotiations that are still happening over the reconciliation package, progressives have said today that they want to know clearly, in clear terms, what it is that Senator Manchin and Senator Sinema and these other holdouts want to see included in that package. But the White House says they are not expecting those senators to make any kind of formal counteroffer as they are talking and negotiating behind the scenes. But Jen Psaki did acknowledge now they are at the point, Jake, where choices have to be made over what they want to see in this package if it's going to happen. All right, Caitlin Collins at the White House, thanks so much. Let's bring in Democratic Congressman Mark Buchanan of Wisconsin. He's a member of the House Progressive Caucus. Congressman, thanks for joining us. So last time we spoke, you thought a deal could be worked out in the next few weeks. Is that still a realistic timeline? Yeah, thanks for having me, Jake. Uh, again, I think you know what I've always said is what's most important is what's in the plan, not necessarily what day we do the plan. Um, I think everyone is working to try to get to uh, something. I still think by the end of the month, so you know, hopefully still in the next several weeks. Uh, but 
what really matters is you know with that content and we're waiting for a few of the senators to just be a little more clear on what they uh, see as important we've been very clear the house has a bill that you know we're ready to to vote on that shows the priorities but i still think we're going to get this thing done hopefully by the end of the month so uh, obviously pelosi speaker pelosi has said it's it's not going to pass the senate at 3.5 trillion so she's not going to ask anybody in the house to to vote for anything like that when asked what might be the first program to go to pare it down, she would not offer any specifics, but she did say this. Take a listen. The timing would be reduced in many cases to make the uh, cost lower, but it only would be in such a way that does not undermine the transformative nature of it. So the timing, meaning instead of this being, this is a, over $3.5 trillion over 10 years, so maybe mm-hmm. over four years, five years, But she also seemed to suggest the opposite in a letter to you and other House Democrats last night saying, quote, overwhelming the guidance I'm receiving from members is to do fewer things well. If spending more on fewer programs is a way to get this done, would you be willing to go along with that? Yeah, I think what she said is actually inclusive of both those statements. And while they may seem like they're contradictory, I understand what she's saying. You know, as progressive caucus members, we've said have some of the most important programs that are out there and have maybe for a little shorter term. But the ones that are truly transformative, let's do things that can impact people the quickest and also as universal as possible. So that way the majority of our constituents are benefiting from the many good things that are in the bill. And I think that's what you just heard Nancy Pelosi say. But I think what she also was referring to in the letter is there's all kinds of other things that are in here that aren't maybe the ones that are the big items that I think the average person is going to feel for their family. Uh, no doubt people, 40 million Americans, are going to get that tax cut through the child uh, tax credit. Uh, you're going to clearly see people benefit from only paying 7% of their income on child care and on some of the provisions uh, that we have around expanding Medicare and provisions around family medical leave and prescription drug prices. So we want to keep the big ones that people are really going to see but then there's a lot of other little buckets out there that there's money in that perhaps some of that can be repurposed to keep those programs I just mentioned and some others uh, really doing well. Uh, We also have some priorities around things like housing and immigration and some other issues, but uh, it's not at all out of line with what Speaker Pelosi said today. So you just noted keeping the enhanced child tax credit is important to you. Let's dive into that one a little bit. Um, Families will be able to get up to $3,600 a year For each child, they have under six years old, $3,000 for each child six to 17 years old. Parents who qualify uh, are getting half now in monthly payments. Then they'll get the rest when they file their taxes next spring. Now, look, I know you're not going to negotiate this on national TV, TV, but to you, this this is kind of one of the untouchables, no? This is one of the ones that I think our constituents will feel, and they're getting right now. They're getting some help in this way because of the COVID package we passed earlier this year, but this will extend it for years. And this program alone lifts half the children in poverty in this country out of poverty. So that's why it's so important. But Jake, I'd also argue those childcare provisions, when you look at what people are paying for childcare and what I was told by business groups back home, the number one barrier to people going back to work and everyone's trying to hire people right now is childcare. So if we can address that, 
that, not only do we get people into the workforce, but uh, in the money that we put out there uh, for COVID, six of the seven uh, jobs that were created went to men. This makes sure that everyone is benefiting from the money we're putting out there. So I think childcare also is something that's really important to a lot of us. All right, Democratic Congressman Mark Wakan of Wisconsin, thanks so much. Good to see you again, sir. Sure. Thank you, Jake. Two major companies already saying not so fast after the governor of Texas says the state is banning any business or school or anyone from imposing a vaccine mandate. Stay with us. In our Health Lead, a Republican governor's latest political prescription to a real-life health crisis, Texas Governor Greg Abbott's new executive order forbidding vaccine mandates in his state raises all sorts of questions, legal and business issues, as well as health and science questions. Of course, Abbott's action contradicts the position he took in August when his spokesperson said, quote, private businesses don't need government running their business, quote. Now apparently he thinks they do, as CNN's Nick Watt reports. Texas, Governor Greg Abbott just doubled down. Now no one, not even private companies, can mandate COVID-19 vaccines for staff or customers. Vaccines, he says, must always be voluntary for Texans. New York State has mandated vaccines for healthcare workers. Today, a judge ruled they can, at least temporarily, claim a religious exemption. New York City mandates vaccines for pro athletes, so the Brooklyn Nets just announced Kyrie Irving won't be playing. He could have played away games, but the GM doesn't want a part-timer. The hope is that we, we have Kyrie back. You know, We'll welcome him back in, in open arms under a, a different set of circumstances. Most Americans support vaccine mandates for larger businesses and healthcare workers, so says a brand new poll. We don't like to be telling people what they need to do with regard to vaccines, but we know that mandates work. We've seen that they are working. They're working in schools, universities and colleges. In Wisconsin, a mum whose son caught COVID is suing the school district, which will not mandate masks. She claims they're throwing students into a COVID-19 snake pit. I am just hoping that they will start masking and take some responsibility to keep our kids safe at school. And at a school board meeting in Virginia. I was sitting next to my healthy daughter's deathbed. She died five days after showing symptoms. Her daughter, Teresa, was 10 years old. COVID is not over. No matter what people who have been standing up here have said. Later this month, FDA advisors will discuss vaccines for kids 5 to 12. Today in Buenos Aires, Argentina, they start vaccinating kids 3 to 11, transmitting more tranquility to the families, tweeted one official. Here in the U.S., the average daily COVID-19 case count hasn't been this low since early August. The Delta tied on the ebb, but... I think we still need to be careful through the winter. This is a winter pathogen. It'll continue to circulate. In colder weather for at least a few more months. The numbers are going down, but they're still abysmal. While we're going in the right direction, we're still not where we need to be in order to curb this pandemic. And of course, fighting this pandemic is as much about politics as it is about public health. And some bad news for President Biden on that front. A new poll finds that only 42 percent of Americans now trust him to relay accurate information on COVID. That number was 58 percent back on Inauguration Day.
Jake. Mm. All right, Nick Watt, thanks so much. There may be huge political and business fallout from Governor Abbott's order. Dozens of big, highly visible companies, including CNN's parent company, AT&T, have their headquarters in Texas. Uh, Ed Lavendera joins us now. And Ed, we've already heard from two of these companies, American Airlines and Southwest Airlines. What are they saying about Governor Abbott saying they cannot impose vaccine mandates on employees? Well, those two companies that have been so hard hit by the pandemic over the course of the last year and a half, they're saying that they're going to follow uh, the federal vaccine mandate uh, put in place by President Biden. So they will continue with that. And this, Jake, has really put businesses across this state in quite the bind as they are trying to figure out uh, exactly what they can and can't do. But it's also important to point out, as Governor Greg Abbott is facing primary challenges next spring, uh, facing two different opponents uh, that are basically coming at him from the extreme right wing of the Texas Republican Party, uh, that the governor has issued other mandates in reference to masks in schools. And there were a number of organizations and entities that simply ignored that, ignored the executive orders and have been in legal fights over it. So there's a real question as to whether even uh, many of these Texas businesses will comply or take this to court. We'll see how this plays out in the coming days. Ed, what other reactions are you hearing from businesses in Texas? You know, one of the reaction we got was from the Houston Methodist Hospital system in, in Harris County. And you might remember them. This is one of the first hospital chains in the country that required all of its employees to get vaccinated. Uh, they issued a statement saying today saying that they are uh, extremely disappointed in the governor's actions. It ne- won't necessarily affect that hospital chain because so many of its employees were already vaccinated, but they're concerned about other hospital systems across the state and whether or not that will block them from continuing the push uh, to get employees mandated, especially those healthcare workers that are on the front lines of this pandemic. All right, Ed Lavandera in Dallas, Texas, thanks so much. A congressman facing new scrutiny for his alleged role in fueling the deadly insurrection will explain next. In our politics lead, House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy slammed today as, quote, an insurrectionist in a suit and tie. That coming from House Intelligence Committee Chairman Democrat Adam Schiff, who's part of the House Special Committee investigating the deadly insurrection. Four people in Trump's inner circle have already been summoned to testify under oath. Steve Bannon says he's not going to show up. Joining us now, CNN's Paula Reid. Paula, what's going to happen to those who decide to not comply with congressional subpoenas? Well, Jake, according to Schiff, people who don't cooperate could go to jail. He says people who don't observe their subpoenas are going to be referred for criminal contempt. And the committee is prepared to urge the Justice Department to prosecute anyone who refuses to comply with subpoenas from the panel. Now, there are some signs of what could potentially be progress. Schiff said today the committee is engaging with lawyers for former Chief of Staff Mark Meadows and former Pentagon official Cash Patel to try to secure their testimony. But as you noted, Longtime Trump advisor Steve Bannon has signaled he will not appear until a judge resolves questions about executive privilege. Now, Bannon was not part of the executive branch at the time in question, and his blanket refusal to cooperate is unlikely to hold up. Now, Bannon is scheduled to appear for a deposition on Thursday. And if he does indeed make good on his threat not to show, just how fast could a criminal referral happen? Well, let's take a listen. Days, weeks, months in terms of when the criminal referral would come? 
Well, it will come very fast. Uh, if people refuse to cooperate and have no basis for the refusal, it will come very fast. And interestingly, Schiff noted that unlike the past four years, Democrats are now, of course, in charge of the House and the Justice Department. While Trump was in office, it was a lot easier for advisors like Bannon to get away with obfuscation because Attorney General's Sessions and Barr would not pursue criminal contempt. But now the decision on whether to pursue proceedings will go to Attorney General Merrick Garland. Now, Schiff would not comment on whether the team has already started drafting a criminal referral for Steve Bannon, but it is expected that the committee will wait at least until the end of the week after the deadlines have passed before pursuing any additional recourse against any witnesses who don't show up. Well, Paula, tomorrow uh, also is a key deadline for other subpoenas, right? That's right, Jake. Trump advisors are not the only ones who have received subpoenas. Tomorrow's a deadline for a group of people associated with the January 6th rally to turn over requested documents. Multiple sources tell CNN that several of those people intend to comply, but the committee has warned that anyone that does not could face consequences up to and including criminal contempt. All right, Paula Reed, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Also in our politics lead today, new details on the role played by a key House Republican in spreading Trump's big lie. A new Senate report into January 6th zeroes in on Trump ally and Pennsylvania Republican Scott Perry. He is a promoter of baseless election lies. He has connections to stop the steel rallies. Democrats on the Judiciary Committee call this little-known congressman, who represents the Harrisburg area, a critical player in Trump's efforts to overturn the election. Perry went so far as to vote to disenfranchise millions of his fellow Pennsylvanians on the day of the insurrection. And as Sarah Murray reports for us now, Senate Democrats say further investigation is needed to probe the full scope of Perry's involvement in the run-up to that deadly day. As a Pennsylvania congressman trumpeted baseless claims of election fraud. Oftentimes they say, well, there's not enough to overturn the election. First of all, we don't know how much there is. Donald Trump was lapping them up. The president was saying that these local officials, or I guess in Scott Perry's case, a federal official, had all kinds of information about all kinds of fraud and problems and things that had impacted the election, former Associate Deputy Attorney General Richard Donahue told the Senate Judiciary Committee. Now the five-term congressman and Army veteran is facing scrutiny as new details emerge about his role in Trump's plot to overturn the 2020 presidential election results. Scott Perry of Pennsylvania. Scott, thank you. Perry has said he's unaware of any GOP lawmakers playing a role in the Capitol insurrection. I don't know of any. We're here and open for the investigation. And if people are culpable, they need to be, uh, justice needs to prevail in that regard. But a report from a Democrat-led Senate panel says Trump allies, including Perry, have particularly notable ties to January 6th. And these ties warrant further investigation. How does the president incite an attack that was pre-planned and already underway before his speech concluded. And the House Select Committee investigating January 6th wants phone records of several lawmakers, including Perry. I'm Jeff Clark. Perry has admitted introducing Trump to Jeffrey Clark, who led the Justice Department's civil division. Clark tried and failed to press other top DOJ officials to announce election fraud investigations in battleground states and attempted a near coup of Justice Department leadership. Jeffrey Clark became Donald Trump's big lie lawyer. The same day Trump told DOJ officials to just say the election was corrupt and leave the rest to me and the Republican congressman. Trump dispatched Perry to convince Donahue the election had been stolen. Perry called Donahue. POTUS asked him to call, according to notes Donahue provided to the Senate panel. 
According to Donahue, Perry talked up Clark, effectively saying, Jeff Clark is great. He's the kind of guy who could really get in there and do something about this. And asked for Donahue's email, saying, can I send you stuff? We've got a lot of evidence. He sent a document of debunked claims like this one. Over 205,000 more votes were cast in Pennsylvania than people who voted in the November election. Claims Perry clung to as he objected to the 2020 election results just hours after rioters stormed the U.S. Capitol. Sadly, but resolutely, I object to the electoral votes of my beloved Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. An objection he still stands by as he continues to cast doubts on the election. Would you vote the same way now? I absolutely would. It's not about President Trump. It's not about President Biden. It's about the process. Now, it's still unclear whether the House Select Committee is going to want to talk to Scott Perry. We, of course, reached out to his office with a variety of questions, asked them for comment. Jake, they didn't get back to us. All right, Sarah Murray, thanks so much. Appreciate it. it. It's not just you. Prices really are up at the pump. Next, why gas prices are skyrocketing and how long it might last. Stay with us. In our money lead today, sticker shock at the gas pump. The national average is now up to $3.28 a gallon. A year ago, when most of us were working from home, we were riding relatively low at $2.18 a gallon. Fast forward to last month, prices jumped up a whole dollar by mid-September to $3.17. And now we're up more than $0.10 in just a month. CNN's Pete Montine is live for us in Northern Virginia, just outside D.C. Pete, what is driving the spike? Well, Jake, simply put, the price of crude oil is up. It just closed at higher than $80 a barrel, the highest it has been in the last seven years. And analysts say it could be as high as $85 or $90 a barrel by the end of this year. The point is, from AAA, we are only just seeing the start of these high prices. What people should know is this is not a shortage. You know, people think, "Uh uh-oh, prices are going up. There must be a shortage. No, we have plenty of supply. And there's plenty of oil. It's just that the price of that oil is going up. The highest prices across the country are out west. Gas Buddy says the metro area with the highest price is the San Francisco area, $4.60 a gallon on average there. Although the most common price you'll see across the country right now, Jake, $3.09, like this gas station here in Alexandria, Virginia. And, And Pete, obviously high gas prices have a ripple effect across the economy. Well, that's right. You know, it has a direct impact on the price of goods, things like milk and eggs. But it also has this effect that makes inflation a little bit worse, just continuing the theme of life getting more and more expensive in 2021. You know, what's so interesting is that this time of year, gas prices typically slump a little bit between Labor Day and Thanksgiving because demand for driving levels off. Although now we're seeing more and more people driving again. So this will make the sting of all of that even a bit worse. Pete, you also cover aviation quite a bit. Is there, has there been any noticeable impact on that industry uh, of these fuel prices increasing? Well, the biggest thing that is changing ticket prices are just the level of interest in flying again. We've seen as the pandemic subsides, there's more and more interest in people wanting to fly again. Uh, one study says that the average price for a Thanksgiving trip was 360 last year. Now it's about $404, just one indicator. And United Airlines says interest on its website for traveling for the holidays is actually even higher than it was back in 2019 before the pandemic. All right, Pete Montine, thanks so much. Appreciate it. 
Will Democrats need to make some hard decisions on Biden's big agenda? What we're hearing from Speaker Nancy Pelosi, that's next. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 